0: This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, we have packed a few different shows together that we call highlights to help you to get the most bang for your time in educating you on the topics that you want to learn from. We would love to hear from you. I am grateful that you are with us today. Have a blessed day. Our guest is Anton Matley. Thanks for being on the show, Anton. Thanks for having me on, Whitney. Yeah, I can't believe it's taken 850 plus shows to get you on the show. And Todd, uh, you know, we've been in a mastermind for a good while now together and heard him speak numerous times about financing and help so many people just think through and better understand financing for syndications and the pitfalls. He's extremely experienced, which you're going to hear a little bit about. So looking forward to this conversation, Anton. Pleasure to have you on the show. But a little about him. He's a CEO of Peak Financing and has decades of experience in commercial and investment banking, private equity, and commercial real estate. After graduating from Zurich Business School in Banking and Finance, held senior management positions at major financial institutions in New York, Tokyo, Hong Kong, and Zurich. During that time, Anton was heading a bank branch, managing cross-border teams, financing and restructuring commercial real estate worth several billion U.S. dollars, and overseeing loan portfolios consisting of aircraft and ocean transport vessels. Anton also directs and structuring of complex cross-border commodity and trade finance transactions for Fortune 500 companies. So, Anton, thank you so much for your time and being on the show being willing to share with us and and help us to better understand just the financing piece and things that are happening right now in our market. I know you keep up with those things better than probably any of us can. And uh, so give us a little more, uh, you know, about your focus in this industry right now. And let's jump into just, you know, the current financing situations and pitfalls for syndicators. Sure,
1: absolutely. Thanks again for having me on. Our focus is to do finance, as we call it, the middle market segment. I come from an institutional background. And that typically, when it comes to asset sizes, is 50 million and up below that. We call it the middle market. And that's where we, our firm, are primarily focused on. And when it comes to the syndication space, that's where we help a lot of syndicators. As you know, a lot of syndicators are active in the multifamily space. So that's only the biggest chunk of the syndication financing we do. But we also do other commercial real estate like office buildings, retail mobile home parks, self-storage and all that. It's just that multifamily is only a big piece of what we do.
0: Now, in just uh, the terminology there, just a little bit, you talked about like middle market segment, and you said that's you know fifty million and up, or that's fifty, or oh, 50, what was those ranges? Again?
1: Fifty million and below, right? So the true institutional players, they they tend to focus on asset sizes that tend to be fifty million and up. Sometimes they may go for thirty-five, forty million assets, but most of them really focus on much larger assets. Once you are in that, as we call it, the middle market segment, it's more more syndicators, private individuals, maybe family offices that, that invest in these assets. And that's where we add the most value because institutional players typically have their in-house financing in place, so they do not really need that much of our assistance because they have a large team that does it on a daily basis, essentially doing what we are doing for our clients. And that's the reason why we focus primarily on the middle market.
0: No, that makes complete sense. Appreciate you elaborating on that. Sometimes, uh, especially listeners, you're getting new into this business, you don't understand some of the terminology and what that means. You know, let's jump in, you know, to just the financing situation as we speak. Uh, Obviously, we're in, you know, mid January right now when we're recording this, just so the listener knows. But, uh, Anton, you know, why don't you just give us kind of an update? And I'd also love to learn, you know, just how, you know, someone like ourselves that's in the syndication business, you know, we're doing deals. However, we're not. You know, in the financing side of it, like you are, how can we gain more knowledge and just stay up to date on, you know, more of what's happening? How do you do that? Or how do you suggest that we do that?
1: Yes. uh, So one of the best ways to stay up to date, obviously, just stay in touch with trusted advisors, right? Uh, obviously with us on the financing side, read a lot of reports from lenders, also read whatever reports you can get. It's important that you are aware of where interest rates are in the marketplace, whether it's the treasury yields and other interest rates that are driving the real estate financing market. So that's really the crucial piece. At the same Same time, when you stay in touch, really ask the right questions. What has changed over the last Mm -hmm. couple of years or couple of months? So, as a perfect example is that you may have heard me talk about Freddy SBL as an example. That is a perfect entry point for someone who doesn't have experience in multifamily syndication because Freddy SBL essentially allowed to, for an inexperienced investor or syndicator to do their first deal as long as they're third-party management. Well, that is now out the window. And we still get calls and requests from, from individuals that have heard us, me or one of my colleagues, a year ago or two years ago thinking, oh, that's the way to go. And now today we have to tell them, sorry, the situation has changed. So it's important to stay up to date of what is happening.
0: No doubt about it. No, I appreciate you bringing that up because I'm sure, you know, there's probably many listeners who trying to get into this business, making especially their first deal or two happen. You know, they have probably heard of that and uh, some of them are thinking maybe that's a good option. But at the moment, that's gone. Do you see that coming back at all or is this just kind of off the table right now?
1: I don't see that it comes back anytime soon. We never know what's happening in a year or two years from now, but talking about particularly the last year, when we look at through COVID-19 that it's on everyone's mind, the loans that have had the most difficulties already pre-COVID, but it's only has uh, shown up being more so doing the COVID-19 situation are the smaller loans and the smaller loans with newbie, as we call them, buyers that are the first-time buyers really make up a big bulk of the problem loans. And as a result, obviously, the agencies and other lenders too are now much more careful with someone who, who has no experience at all in multifamily or any commercial real estate. So they just take a more careful approach.
0: So is that, you know, that individual that's listening now is thinking, oh no, you know, Anton, you know, I was hoping that that would work for me to get that first deal done. You know, are we going to go to, you know, they're going to have to partner with somebody that has the experience, bring somebody in that has the experience. Is that kind of going to be the route for them now? Absolutely.
1: That's the right approach. Frankly speaking, we always recommended that even previously, right? So even though it was available for someone to do it on his or her own, we always recommended to partner up with someone because you avoid so many mistakes. If you partner up with someone who has already gone through that situation, now it's just a must. And that's really the best way, right? And that's if you have a good deal or a great deal that you find. As you know, Whitney, there are so many people out there that are willing to partner up with you. So it's not that you're not able to find partners. What is required is that you expand your network well before you find that deal. So that once you find that great deal, you already have the ability to reach out to someone. Right? So you cannot just find a deal and then start calling people. Then they don't know you and they're likely will partner up with you.
0: You know, that's great advice. Expand your network before the deal, right? So while we're on that topic, too, about you were saying about asking the right questions, I wanted to go back to that. When we are speaking to someone like yourself, help us to think about, you know, what questions are the most important? uh, Just so we do get a really good glimpse into what's happening right now, just in the, you know, financial market.
1: Yes. So really what is important for anyone to understand, just because you receive a T12 and a rent roll, that doesn't mean that the lender will take that T12 and rent roll, Mm -hmm. so the financials, right, and say, yes, we will provide financing based on these numbers. So ask, how would a lender underwrite this particular deal? And that is probably the most important question that one should ask because that's where we see the biggest mistakes where someone is underwriting a deal, makes an offer, sometimes even goes under a PSA, and then they start seeking out financing. And then they are all surprised when the loan proceeds and other terms of that loan do not come in at the level that they originally anticipated.
0: Our guest is Jan Stavisky. Thanks for being on the show, Jan. Thank you for having me on, man. Appreciate it. Jan is a very interesting story, having gone to college and obtaining two degrees, only to end up in $82,000 worth of debt, trying to become an entrepreneur at age 22. By 25 years old, he now operates multiple six-figure businesses around credit in industries like real estate, e-commerce, and online education. He has accomplished all of this while traveling to 47 countries, nearly free with travel hacking. So, I, Yana, first time I've really heard of travel hacking, and, and I know the listeners' are, our ears are perked up about that as well. I want to hear a little more about that. And you've been to so many places and, and nearly for free, but then also I know you have a superpower of just establishing relationships with banks and getting the best terms. And that's something we can all, if you're in the real estate business, we all need to know how to do. So, looking forward to just hearing about that and how you've learned to do that. But give us a little more about who you are and, and what your your role in real estate ideas and, and maybe a little more about your businesses and, and let's jump in.
2: Yeah man for sure before I even got into anything business related in terms of leveraging credit to go pick up properties, doing e-commerce, any of that stuff. When I was 18, I always wanted to travel the world. And I did so by spending my first three thousand bucks that I ever made to go to Thailand. And it was an amazing experience. I came back but I had no money left and I'm like what do I do? I really want to go travel. I was in college at the time, like I was not going to my classes. I was like coming in first day, I'm like, "Hey, look, I got this emergency or whatever. I can't make it for a month of class." But in reality, I was going to Thailand. So I came back, and I had no money, but I had an envelope from American Express that says, "If you go and spend 5,000 bucks, you get 100,000 points." And so I did that. I bought my friend a laptop or something like that, and I got these points. And I went and did the same exact trip again. I did not pay for the flight this time. I did not pay for the hotel this time. I did not pay for the car rental this time. And when I came back, I'm like, man, there's got to be a way to continue doing this over and over and over again. And so from like 18 to 22, I was learning the credit system, basically the reward system and how I can accumulate more and more and more points. And basically it's correctly applying for credit cards, minimizing your inquiries, keeping your score above 720 at least, understanding all the internal bank rules. And I've accumulated about 55 credit cards from 18 to 25 right now. But by 22, I had like, I probably had like 20 or 25 cards at the time. And that gave me enough to go travel probably like 30 times a year from 18 to 22.
0: But you had to be spending a lot of money to be getting points, right?
2: I wasn't spending any money. That's, you know, that's one of the kind of advanced secrets that you'll kind of learn when you get into travel hacking with credit. You'll learn that there's a bunch of different ways to actually go and get points without spending money. One of the first uh, hacks that you might see, like if you Google travel hacking and getting points is buying gift cards and kind of returning them, getting uh, money orders, cashing them out. It kind of this whole ordeal. That's what I was doing at first. And I got millions of points that way millions of points and there's ways to minimize the amount of points you use there's ways to get even better flights with the same amount of minimized points to get the statuses it's all crazy man that's that's how i started doing what i'm doing with credit that i took from 22 at 22 years old i'm flying first class to dubai people are thinking like man this guy is probably a billionaire or something like that but in reality i had like (laughs) i had no money whatsoever at all And by the time I finished college, I went to uh, Berkeley and I went to San Francisco State. I got a finance and I got a marketing degree, which I realized were absolutely useless because after I applied to like a hundred different jobs, I did not get a single response back. I'm like, what what, what do I do from here? I spent a hundred thousand dollars on my degrees and nothing came out of it. So I wanted to start my own business. I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I've always kind of been an entrepreneur at heart. The only job I've ever had was being a lifeguard. Everything else, I had these little side hustles. I had a car washing business at 10. I I was teaching art classes to adults at 13. And so I wanted to start my own real business. But I had absolutely no knowledge of how to hire a team, how to do marketing, how to go about using credit for business. I didn't have any money on top of that. But I had a bunch of credit cards and obviously a bunch of credit lines that I could use. And I had about 100, maybe $120,000 in available credit. And I thought to myself, Hey, look, if I just use my credit, I'm smart. My my ego was way up here. My skills were way down here. Okay. And I'm like, if I do a bunch of things at once, I got 120,000 to work with, I'll make something happen. And so I decided to go on Instagram and YouTube and see what are these guys doing that drive Lambos and that are doing the same thing that I'm doing, like flying around in." you know, first class to Dubai. Cause I'm assuming they're not travel hacking. I'm assuming they're just, you know, making a lot of money to pay for these things. So I started five businesses at once. All the like, I did like e-com. I did a wholesaling real estate. You know, I was putting those, uh, you know, we buy houses signs. I spent like right. a thousand bucks, drove around. But at the same time I was doing Facebook ads for companies. I was doing Shopify, a bunch of different shit. And so in six months, Because I had no skills. I'm doing five different things at once. I'm spending money that I don't have. And I don't understand how credit really works in terms of using it for business. I'm $82,000 worth of credit card debt in six months. Not a single business is profitable. I'm losing money in every single direction. And on top of that, I learned about interest. And I'm paying the banks about twenty seven percent interest on the debt that I own, which turned out to be about three or four thousand bucks a month. And I was making no more than three grand a month at the time, working like sixty hours a week. And the only thing that was working for me was my fitness trading classes that I've always done. I'm always I've always been about fitness. That's been like you know like the the staple of anything I do. Whatever I do, I gotta be on my fitness game. Then that's the only thing that I was working. And I'm like, dude, I'm in a position where I'm making three grand a month of my interest alone. Not even talking about, exp- I was living in San Francisco. Not even talking about my housing expenses or food or my car. I can't even make the interest on my debt. And so that was kind of my rock bottom and i realized man if, like if i'm not making completely different moves right now than what i'm doing right now there's absolutely no way that i will get out of this situation i was about i was about to turn 23 at the time and i thought man i like i really don't know what to do i was you know i was at rock bottom sitting in my bmw that i stupidly bought thinking it was going to motivate me to you know to get somewhere maybe kind of did but the point is I had no way out if I was going to continue doing the same types of things. And keep in mind, at the time, my credit was now completely destroyed. Completely destroyed. I had a 490 credit score. I had collections. It even got so bad that I left, I travel hacked my way to Japan and just stayed in Japan because I didn't want to deal with the situation back in the US because I knew how bad it was. And so I came back, I counted up all my debt. I'm like, like, you've got to go get a job. I wanted to become an entrepreneur, but I realized I'm in a position that I got to go get a job and I got to actually make some money. But more importantly, I got to go, I got to go learn how a business is run. I got to get some skills. I got no skills. I mean, like I I have an ego (laughs) and I got confidence, but I have no skills. And that's what was missing from the equation. And I was listening to a podcast similar to this one. And somebody was saying. Might have been like Grant Cardone's podcast, or it could have been like Ty Lopez's. But somebody was saying, man, if you want to become an entrepreneur, you want to run your own business, you want to do your own deals, you got to learn sales. You have to absolutely learn sales, no matter what you do. If you're doing syndications and real estate, you got to convince other people that you are the person they should work with. They need to understand your vision, they need to understand that you are confident and you know what you're talking about you got to learn sales. Okay. And I'm like, look, that's, that's the move I'm going to make. And finally, somehow I landed a sales job in the cryptocurrency industry when crypto was booming. It was like 2016, 17. And I got a job in crypto and I spent 80 hours a week. I did not sleep. I'm like, I'm going to be the best person at this company in sales. I'm not doing anything but sales, getting good, understanding how everything works in that particular business, because I want to use that for my business later on. And at the same time, I'm like, dude, I'm getting screwed by the banks so bad that I'm paying like $4,000 a month just in interest to keep my debt at eighty two dollars And so the other thing I did besides my sales job is learn credit. Credit repair first. And then I was learning how do I reestablish my relationships with the banks because I've screwed a lot of them up at this point. I got a four ninety credit score. I was thinking about bankruptcy. Which, by the way, anybody that's considering bankruptcy, it is not. They should never, ever, ever be an option, unless you got twenty, thirty million dollars worth of debt, and there's absolutely no way you're gonna make payments.
0: So, give us a couple couple things. I mean, how did you get out of that? What was the turning point? What were the next steps? That I mean, because obviously that that wasn't too long ago, right? I mean, but you've you know you've you've covered a lot of ground since then.
2: It's three years ago. Yeah, I just turned 26. And this was when I was 23. And the last three years have been crazy. But the, the major turning point was I started focusing on actually getting some skills and learning how a business is run by working for somebody else. And at the same time, I'm learning how to how credit works besides just travel hacking. The travel hacking is interesting, but it should not be the primary thing. It, it works very well. When you have income coming in, when you are leveraging credit for a business, then it works tremendously well. So, you know, I think of it this way. You should be able to afford all that stuff, but you shouldn't have to pay for any of it.
0: Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today.